As we've gone through 2 Corinthians, Paul has really been exposing his heart. He's been sharing uh, his softer side, I guess you could say. He's, he's really been reaching out in love to the church at Corinth and sharing some of deep things. When we come to chapter 10, it's as though he begins to speak to the church at Corinth by their proper and middle name. Well, you guys know what I mean, right? Like, well, you can have a nice, wonderful conversation with your, your mom and dad, and things are going good, but when dad look at me and say, Jackie Lloyd, everything was about to change. In chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, that's what's going on. Paul's going to get down to, to some issues that have, have hurt him personally, but more than that, He's going to try to help them understand how to recognize where the troubles of this life are coming from and what does that mean? How, what do we do with that knowledge? How do we deal with, uh, with the reality of understanding where it is that the, the hard times we're struggling through are coming from and what's going on with them? So as we take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look how Paul begins. He says, now... I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, one of the things we have to fix in our minds is an attitude of what meekness is. Now, uh, uh, for a, uh, you probably have heard many times, meekness is strength or power under control. But listen, when you, when you break down the Greek word, it was a word used to identify a stallion. A stallion that had gone through the process of being broken. And you re- recognizing when you come to this horse, it's a powerful being. It's able to do vastly above and beyond what you or I are able to do. But because it's been trained, because it is under control, that person can ride that horse and know this horse is meek. Now, when I look at a horse, and I, I never put meekness and horse together. I have a horse phobia. I don't know if any of you have ever had a horse phobia. They're big. And they bite. What's up with that? You know, I was just worried about getting kicked by a horse for a long time. And then Fritzy tells me the story about getting picked up by a horse by the mouth and flung around like a little rag doll. And I thought... I want to ride one of these. (laughs) About that time, you know, David says, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to plan a men's hunt and we're going to take horses out. Woo-hoo, yay! (laughs) I'm kind of leaning toward horsepower. It's got that little start button on it. I already know how to ride one of those. That's what meekness is all about. So when we talk about the meekness of Jesus Christ, you need to see this this stallion, this majestic animal that is controlled, controlled by the Lord. That it's power and control. So when Paul says, guys, I'm pleading to you with the meekness and gentleness of Christ, realize that that's the, the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead working in the life of Paul, but it's under control. That the things that Paul says, how he's directing the church, the the plans that he has, 
That's all done by the power of God through the control of the Holy Spirit working in his life. See, that's what meekness is. Most people, when they read about meekness, the meekness of Jesus Christ, they make him effeminate. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that. And we start to look at at meekness as though it's weakness. It's that guy who's afraid or not going to really make any waves or doesn't want... Really? I mean, does that describe the Jesus who went through the temple and purged the temple of those who were buying and selling? Who made a whip and drove him out? But then when he came to the place where the doves was, the scripture tells us, he didn't lose, he wasn't out of control, he didn't smash the cage, hurt the birds. The Bible says he stopped, he opened the cages, let the birds out, picked up the whip and kept driving them folks out. You see, that's a picture of meekness. Power under the control of God. And when we look at what Paul's going to, the points that Paul's going to make today, one of those main points is, is really necessary for us to understand that concept. That, that we are called to be meek. What did the Bible say? The meek would what? Inherit the earth, right? The meek shall inherit the earth. That's what the Lord lays out. What did that mean? The weak? No, it meant those who had placed their power under the control of God. And allows God to control them. Just like the writer and that stallion. So when Paul begins this phrase, we want to understand that word meekness, power under control. But don't forget about gentleness. The gentleness of Christ. Christ always knew the right way to answer somebody. Don't you love that? He always knew when somebody needed to be, uh, you know, have a little toe-to-toe session with him. He also knew when somebody needed a little prodding or encouragement. He always knew how to go right to the heart of the matter. And when we present ourselves to the Lord to be controlled by Him, and we can be gentle too. The Bible says to be to gentle as doves, right? It also, don't forget, says be wise as serpents. You don't, you don't get to just pull one part or the other out. Be wise as serpents, harmless or gentle as doves. And so here Paul says, I'm pleading with you guys. I I want you guys really to understand what I'm about to share with you. Who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, I am bold towards you. Now Paul's sharing one of the charges, one of the things that had hurt him. One of the things that had hurt Paul in his ministry was, Paul, the Bible doesn't tell us a physical description. But there's an apocryphal book that gives a description of what Paul was like. And in essence, Paul looked a lot like Marty Feldman. Sorry, I hope that doesn't blow any of your mental pictures of Paul. Paul kind of looked like that. He's kind of a little guy. He he, kind of had a lot of the same features that we see in, in Marty Feldman. And people would hear his letters and they'd say, man, this guy must be awesome. Have you ever heard somebody on the radio and thought, man, this guy... When I see this guy, when, man, I, you get this mental picture of what he looks like, and, and then you show up and you, and you see the real deal. <laughs> that can't be him. He can't really look like that. That's what it was like for Paul. He'd write these letters, and they'd say, oh, man, in these letters, he's, he's, he's got all these powerful things to say. But when you see him face to face, he's just really not much. There's just not much there. 
So this is what Paul's alluding to. Hey guys, I'm talking to you with meekness and gentleness of Christ about these kind of issues, these kind of things that are going on. The, the idea that sometimes we judge a book by the cover, don't we? We look at what something looks like and we say, oh, that's... I thought this guy was really going to be something, but... So this is what Paul's going to deal with. This is what he wants to bring about in verse 2. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. He says, guys, I don't want to come to Corinth and get in a big fight. How many of you guys like to go somewhere where you're guaranteed beyond a shadow of doubt that you're going to have a big old confrontation? How many of us guys, when we're going over to the in-law's house, <clears throat> can come up with a hundred different reasons why we could be late? Oh, uh, you know, I, I volunteered for overtime. I mean, I have to go work some overtime. I don't know if I can go. When we're looking at things where we know we're going to face confrontation, nobody likes it. And Paul is saying here, guys, you think that I'm going to come and because I look this way, I don't have any authority or, or that I'm not anything special. But hey, filled with the power of God, he's going to do what God's called him to do. He'll come and be bold and he'll have this big confrontation if that's what needs to happen. But you see, he begins it with, I beg you, when, I may be, when I'm present with you, let's just take the word of God and do what God's word says. Let's just, let's just be open to the leading of God's spirit. Let's, let's stop all this, this fighting amongst ourselves and hazing and, and piling up for ourselves. This teacher, that teacher, this person, I like the way he looks or that person. I like the way he sounds. And I'm not going to listen to this guy because he's ugly. And, and all this craziness that was going on with some, he didn't say everybody with some of the people in Corinth. They say that we walk according to the flesh. That's the thing that Paul says. They're saying that, that, you know, look at how he looks. Look at some of the things he's done. You know, I don't know. I'm just not really with that person. But Paul says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. He's going to begin to lay out for us what's really going on. Now, we, we, we think it's just this person said this or that person said that. Or, or we, we look at the circumstances around us and we think somehow that that's just, you know, that's just the way things go. And that's the way things happen. But listen, as you're, as you're sitting here looking at this, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And while you go to Ephesians chapter 6, keep your finger there. We'll be flipping back and forth a couple of times. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, listen to what it says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. We don't have, everything's not about this, this matter that's taking place within us. We do not war according to the flesh because our battle is not with the flesh. It's not with flesh and blood. The battles that we face, guys, are spiritual battles. I used to for years think that, that Kathy on purpose would want to pick a fight with me on Saturday night or Sunday morning. 
What's really going on? Should I look at my wife and say, oh my gosh, we just need to have this, this fleshly brawl right now. Or should I recognize what's really going on? What is really happening is what's known as spiritual warfare. Or let's say, oh man, I just find myself on this particular day being extra grumpy. Or I find myself on this day just really being under this burden of of such and such or this and that. It doesn't even matter what it is. We've got to learn to recognize that it's spiritual warfare. Listen, Daniel talked to us about spiritual warfare. Daniel talked to us in Daniel chapter 10. Um, You can turn there if you want to with me, or you can just listen. Daniel chapter 10, about uh, about verse 10 says, Suddenly, Daniel said, A hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Now, now Daniel's been praying and he's been fasting for 21 days for an answer from the Lord. And then it says, He said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And he said, Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. That's an angel talking to Daniel, saying, Daniel, on day one, when you prayed, God sent me. But on the way, the king of Persia, he held me prisoner. And while he held me prisoner, God had to then send Michael the archangel to come down and set me loose so that I could come to you. And that took 21 days. And Daniel, to Daniel, all that was going on was he's praying. God hadn't really said anything. And one day piled on to another, piled on to another. Have you ever prayed to the Lord about something and wait for an answer or wait to hear from his voice and, and all you hear is silence? The Bible would tell us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we need to recognize what's going on. The Bible said that the angel said to Daniel, Oh man, greatly beloved of God. One of the only guys ever called greatly beloved of God in the Old Testament. But you know what Ephesians chapter 1 says for you and I, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that He has accepted us into the Beloved. That means that puts you on that that same category as Daniel was in. And when Daniel prayed on day one, God sent an answer, but the answer took 21 days because of spiritual warfare. Do you believe that that stuff's true or just a bunch of hocus pocus? Because that stuff really goes on. It really happens. We see that the angels, the principalities and the powers of Ephesians chapter 6 seem to be over areas. For example, we see that this, this king of Persia that withheld Gabriel, who was coming to answer Daniel, over and over and over again in that area, king of Persia around the area of Iran and Iraq, has been a, a, a matter of, of some discussion. A lot of people point to that being the, the geographical area where, where Satan has the greatest control. Not one of Satan's minions, 
Not one of his demons. Satan. That's why he held Gabriel. That's why God let Michael go. Because Michael is the baddest dude in heaven below Jesus Christ. He turned, Michael's waiting, Michael's like a dog on a chain waiting for God to cut him loose, which he does in Revelation chapter 12, but we're not there yet. So we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But here's what we need to recognize. We are all in spiritual warfare. And we got to stop running around like we have blinders on thinking, I don't know why all this stuff keeps happening to me. Or I don't know why I'm battling with this depression. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time with this particular issue. Recognize it for what it is. Spiritual battle. Spiritual warfare. And what does he tell us about that spiritual warfare as we, as we take a look again? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, what does he say? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Okay, we've discovered that the warfare, the battles that we fight are not battles of the flesh. Regardless of the enemies of the cross, it may be in the flesh, our battle's not with them. Our battle is with the principalities and the powers behind them. And the tools that we use, the weapons of our warfare, are not carnal. That means we don't come together with some incredible plan about how we can defeat the enemy based on matters of the flesh. Can we, in the flesh, finish something that was begun in the Spirit? No, that which is begun in the Spirit must be completed in the Spirit. This warfare that's going on, he says right here, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not weapons of the flesh, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So what does he say? First off, the way that we do battle against this spiritual oppression or that we do battle against the the spiritual battlefields in our life is to recognize that it's that which is standing mighty in God. Pressing in to Jesus Christ. The children of Israel in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, we discover that what made them or broke them was their ability to realize, guys, everything in life was central to God. He was in the center of the camp. He he said when they got up, when they went down, whatever they did, it was all about God. Everything was about God. Everything that they did was a part of that worship. They didn't want to go where God wasn't. God was in the middle of the camp. They stayed put. If the Shekinah glory of God, that cloud began to move, they began to move. Why? Because they want God to be central. We need to recognize if we're going to do battle, we got to keep God central we got to keep the main thing the main thing and not get distracted by who the enemy is. Think about this. Remember David? David, when he was just a little boy, probably 15, 16 years old, taking a lunch to his brothers, his big, bad, studly brothers that are fighting in the, the army for Saul. And he goes out there with this, this little skinny kid, goes out there and he, and, he, and he takes his lunch to his brothers and he, he sees this big guy standing on a hill shouting down on the people, if any of you guys are brave enough, just, we'll just do one-on-one. You and me will fight, the winner takes all. Come on. And where were all the children of Israel? Hiding behind rocks, behind trees, afraid. Because all they could see was the giant on the hill. 
David said, what are you guys doing? Well, don't you see that giant over there? Yeah, I see that giant. But our warfare is not carnal. It has nothing to do with what it looks like. What's really going on is a spiritual battle. And who is the spiritual leader and guide of, of our nation? It's God. God is way bigger than that fellow over there. David put his faith and trust in God. Little 15, 16-year-old boy delivered the children of Israel by defeating the greatest enemy they had ever seen. Because it wasn't really about the guy they saw. It was about the spiritual battle that's taking place behind the scenes. Listen to what he says. He says here, listen, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God for what? Pulling down strongholds. Pulling down the stronghold. So think of with me. In the Old Testament, we come to the book of Joshua. We see the children of Israel, three million in number, waiting outside on the other side of the Jordan River, outside the walls of Jericho. God says, I got a plan, guys. I got a plan. Here's what I want you to do. He tells them to march around the city. He's going to have a march around the city seven days. Don't say a word. Just march around the city. Just march around the city. Just march around the city. On the seventh day, you're going to march around that city seven times. And then, I want you to blow the trumpet. Now, how many of you guys think it had anything to do with the note that they played on the trumpet? Or how many of you guys think it had anything to do with the fact that as they walked around, what they were really doing as they walked around, that that their feet was was softening the the bottom of that wall so the wall would fall over? Did it have anything to do with anything they were doing? Had everything to do with the one in whom they had placed their trust. How do I know they placed their trust in God? They were obedient. I know they trusted God because they did what God told them to do. And what happened? The stronghold came down. Anybody got strongholds in their life? Things in their life they've been dealing with and they just can't seem to overcome no matter how hard I try. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's not about how hard I try. It's about am I willing to press in to the Lord and do what He's calling me to do? And when I'm obedient, it shows my trust, my faith. The the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The walls of Jericho come tumbling down. On on just about any given Saturday night when we have Celebrate Recovery going on, there's any number of guys sitting in that room that can tell you all about strongholds coming down. All about... Finally, for the first time in their life, realizing that they were powerless to change their life. And when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he brought the walls of their addiction down. Or he brought the walls of their inability to forgive. Or he brought down the walls of their hatred. Because the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. There's not a pill to take. There's not something for us to do more than... Trusting that God will do His perfect work. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. How about the casting down of arguments? Jesus said, you're going to be brought before governors and kings and they're going to ask you 
questions and they're going to be scary guys. You're going to look at them and be afraid, but don't worry about what you're going to answer because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. You know, in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 6, we're introduced to this fellow, Stephen. Remember Stephen? Initially, what happened was there, the widows weren't getting enough food. The Hellenistic widows, the, 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 the Greek mix within the church, they weren't getting as much as the Hebrew widows. So, they chose seven men full of the Holy Spirit. All Greek names, all Greek guys were chosen to be a part of the solution to serve tables, to help out. One of those guys was Stephen. But as he was obedient in the little things, God gave him more, gave him more. Next thing you know, man, Stephen's out just preaching the word on the street. Guys are getting saved. He gets accosted by the Sanhedrin, the same guys that killed Jesus. And they say, hey, we hear that you're preaching against Moses and that, and that this Jesus character is going to destroy all that he ever did. And what did Stephen do? You want to know what Stephen did? Read Acts chapter 7. The single greatest commentary on the Old Testament is already in your Bible. Acts chapter 7. Stephen's words that he cast down their arguments. Was it about uh, all the studying that he had done? Well, I'm sure Stephen was well versed in the scriptures. But it was more about what the Holy Spirit was doing in his life. Because our weapons aren't carnal. Our weapons are mighty in God. They're spiritual. They're spiritual. We press into the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to equip us. And we'll have an answer for the arguments. I try to have an answer, but I just can't answer these questions. You're doing battle carnally. It doesn't work carnally. You fight spiritually. And Paul's going to describe to us how that happens. Listen, not only will it pull down strongholds and cast down arguments, but every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God will come down. Man, the greatest example of every high thing, you know when the Bible talks about the high things or the high places, that's where people worshipped false idols. They would go on to the top of the mountain. Still the same way today. You go to Greece, you go to the Acropolis. What is the Acropolis on top of the mountain? Highest point in the city. What was on the highest point in the city? All the temples. All their worship. Every high thing that exalts itself against God. Here we have this, this high place. He says every high thing will come down. Well, Elijah, he's, he's facing eight or he's facing 400 priests at Baal. And they're all saying that Baal's a true God. And Elijah says he's not the true God. And you people need to stop following him, talking to the children of Israel. So they set up two different altars. And they said, let's see which one, whose God accepts their sacrifice. And the priests of Baal did everything they could and nothing happened. And Elijah, he places out his altar. He pours water over it. He does everything to make sure nothing would happen. And the Bible says fire came down from heaven and took the whole thing. The stones, the altar, the sacrifice, even the water. So that nothing was left. Was it because Elijah was this mighty man and he had some kind of magical power? He said, hocus pocus, dominiocus, and poof, the fire came from heaven? No. Had nothing to do with Elijah. What, what was, what's the point of Elijah? He was pressing in to God. 
Trusting in the Lord. Being obedient to His Word. Showing that trust and fire came down. Pulling down the strongholds. Casting down the arguments and everything that would exalt itself against the Lord. Bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Folks, where's the battlefield at? The battlefield's in your mind. Isn't that where the battlefield is? Every fight, every time I walk in the flesh, every time I, I get off track, it starts right here. I can't believe they... There's no respect in that person. What's wrong with them? It's all going on in my head. Before anything comes out here, it's rolling around in here. So, the, so Paul tells us, the, the battlefield, where the battle is going to be fought, is going to be fought in your mind. It's going to be fought in your mind. And we want to allow God to be God of our mind. Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, let's think about that for a moment. If the battlefield is the mind, and the weapons aren't carnal, but, but he's told us they're mighty in God, well, what are our weapons? Well, remember I told you we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look. Ephesians chapter 6 lays out for us, doesn't it? Ephesians chapter 6 <coughs> tells us about the armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Our battle's not against flesh. That battle's not against your neighbor that causes you all that grief and angst. It ain't him. It's the spiritual powers that are trying to destroy your witness in your neighborhood or in your community or or stir up problems. So what's he tell us to do? Therefore take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand. Are we just supposed to take the parts of the armor we like? How much of the armor did he say to take? All. All in the Greek means? Oh yeah, there's no argument with it. Take all the armor, the whole armor of God. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. How does he begin? With the belt of truth. What is truth? That isn't that what, what <coughs> Pilate said when he stood before Jesus? He walks away, not waiting for the answer, saying, Chaos veritas. What is truth? What is truth? And he walks away. What, what he didn't wait for was the answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 1.1 tells us in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. So who's the Word? And the Word is truth. Jesus is truth. The Word is truth. Our belt is what? Truth. Everything that hangs on our armor, everything that we fight with, everything we do is held up by the belt of truth. Word of God. Everything. Everything. 
By what Jesus said, by what Jesus... Jesus said, you search the scriptures daily, for in them you think you have life, but it is these that speak of me. Every verse, every page is about Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The unveiling of who he is. That's the belt of truth. So in the beginning, understanding we have a spiritual battle to fight, we need to be armed with the belt of truth. Everything is held up by it. Everything is held on by that belt of truth, the word of God, putting our faith and our trust in him. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, what's the breastplate protect? Your heart. What's going to protect my heart? What's going to protect my heart? The breastplate of righteousness. Is it my righteousness by my righteous deeds? Or is it according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he who knew no sin became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God. It's his breastplate. It's his righteousness. The righteousness that God has given, that protects my heart. That protects my heart. The righteousness in Christ, being found in him, in Christ, focused, uh, uh, just being in him. Put on Christ. Put on that righteousness. Put on that righteous robe. Is it by what I do, what I did, what I said, or about pressing into him? Making him central. That protects my heart. My heart is protected by his righteousness given to me through his sacrifice. He goes on to say, and have your, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So, so what is it that, that prepares my feet to be able to stand in the battle and not want to turn around and run away? Why, it's a preparation of the gospel of peace. What's the, what's the gospel of peace? The good news that I, who was at one time an enemy of God, have now been pulled near unto God by a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. What's the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ paved the way for everyone to have that position. And when I stand in Christ, I won't run. When I stand before the walls of this stronghold in Christ, in the preparation and the understanding that He gave everything for me, He didn't bring me here to destroy me. I stand in the face of that wall and truly be unafraid. Because greater is He who is in me than He who is in the world. My feet are prepared by the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done to bring peace between me and the Father. When my feet are shod, the belt of truth is on, the breastplate of righteousness, then what does he tell us? Above all, or over all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. That's the fiery darts of the enemy. The enemy's throwing fiery darts at us. How do we put them out? By the shield of faith. What is faith really? Faith is really trusting in the Lord. Trusting that greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. Putting my faith, and by that I can quench all those fiery darts that are thrown. It protects everything. The shield of faith. Trusting that God knows what He's doing. Now that's a difficult place to be in sometimes. Anybody ever been disappointed with the decision God made in your life? Anyone not been disappointed? 
Well, how do we put out that fiery dart? The enemy just launched a dart into your head. We put it out by faith. I trust God. But everything hinges on that belt of truth. That means it should be found in the word of God. For we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't say we hope. Doesn't say, gee, Wally, I, I really hope this works out. It says we know it does. We know. God says everything he ever wrote in his word will come to pass. Because he is faithful when we are faithless. He will do his perfect work. And it's always for your good and his glory. But God, I can't see it. What does the scripture say about that? The scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. But God, I don't understand. The Lord's saying, good. You don't have to. Trust in me. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me and I'll direct your path. The shield of faith puts out the fiery darts. Overall, we have that shield of faith doing that amazing work in our life. But then he goes on to tell us, and take the helmet of salvation. Where's the battlefield? In our mind, right? Where's the battlefield in our mind? What's going to protect our mind? The helmet of salvation. Do you know that you are his? Do you know that you belong to him? Is the helmet, the protection of your mind, is your assurance of salvation? Your salvation really didn't depend much on you. All you had to do to receive your salvation was to say, Lord, save me. For everyone, anyone, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Helmet of salvation. You ever struggle with your assurance of salvation? Read 1 John. 1 John. The epistles of John primarily are written so that you can have the assurance of salvation. So that you can know that you know that you know that you are His. How can we know that we are His? Because God says, if we trust Him, when we trust Him, He enters into our life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him... Did it say the elect there? No. It said how, who? Whosoever. Does that mean anyone? That's what it means. That whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have what? Everlasting life. How long does everlasting last? Yeah. When does everlasting stop? Once it starts. It doesn't because it's everlasting see it doesn't have to be so complicated the helmet of salvation we protect our mind if i know that i am god's then bring it on bring it on what are you going to do to me take my life Woohoo! i'll be with jesus so what how did you what did you do bad to me nothing better brother you better be aware what it is to fall into the hands of an all-consuming fire that is our God. For He, He gets to choose those who are with Him for eternity and those who are not with Him for eternity. 
I should live my life in the fear of God. Fearing, I don't want to disappoint the one who has the ability to make that choice. What do I care what this guy thinks? Oh, he's going to think I'm some righteous LaRue. (laughs) But But the reality is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I want to be more concerned with what is appropriate to my Lord and Savior, the one who died for me. What's he think of me? Does he think that I'm denying him with my every breath because I'm so ashamed to be counted as one of his children? I don't want to be like that. Is my battle of flesh and blood of the guy holding the machete telling that, that poor little kid in Rwanda, if you don't renounce Jesus Christ, I'm chopping off your arm. Is his battle with that man? The Bible says our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but what? Principalities and powers. Listen, folks, I can't do nothing for that kid in Rwanda from here. Physically. But I can do something for that kid in Rwanda here, spiritually. That's my brother. And the Bible says... Man, the prayers of the righteous avail much. Well, you say, I'm not righteous. Well, didn't you put on the breastplate of righteousness? Whose righteousness was it? Jesus. I guess that makes you righteous. So are you willing to pray? That's the question. Are you willing to pray? Jackie, I prayed and I prayed and it didn't work out like I like it. So forget that praying stuff. No, I didn't say, did you write your little wish list for Santa Claus? We stopped doing that when we were three or four years old, didn't we? No, Joe does it still. He's 13. The point is, we don't bring our prayers to the Lord to get what we want. We bring our prayers to the Lord. What did it say? When they, when they asked Jesus to teach them to pray... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it's for. Your will be done. God will give us the strength we need. We need to trust Him. The helmet of salvation. What's what's the next part? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You notice He didn't give us a lot of offensive weapons. Right? We don't have the hammer of God. We don't have the spear of God. We have the sword of God. The word of God. The word of God. The word of God is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. You ever notice that when you read it? You ever try to read the word of God to get somebody else and get got yourself? It's a two-edged sword. It's a two-edged sword, but listen, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is the only weapon we need. When Jesus was facing Satan in the temptation in the wilderness, how did he defeat him? By the Word of God. Satan would say, has God said? And Jesus would say, it is written. Shh. That's a Jackie paraphrase. It is written. The Word of God is what's going to carry us through. So we have a close-range weapon 
and a long-range weapon. That's the next one. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and the supplication for all the saints. He says we're supposed to pray for all the body of Christ. That's how we cover that brother in Rwanda who's going through persecution we can't even imagine. That's how we cover him. That's how we cover those, those brothers and sisters who were, who were just recently killed in Afghanistan for their faith. The only thing we can do for them is prayer. But how are we supposed to pray with all perseverance? All perseverance. Man, that means endure. Endurance our patience actively working that will never quit, never give up, never stop. We're going to pray. What happens when God's people pray? Oh, when Elijah prayed, fire came down. When Daniel prayed, it was immediately answered. When we pray, things happen. When we don't pray, nothing happens. When we pray, God begins to do an amazing work. Hey, that's the weapons that He's given us. Weapons that He wants us to use. The spiritual warfare. But first, what's He tell us to do? You've got to recognize. What? That my, my battle's not in flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. My battle is spiritual. First thing I've got to do, I've got to recognize what it is. Then He tells me, in James chapter 4, verse 8, what do I do when the devil comes against me? Don't believe all these stupid movies. I remember watching this stupid movie when I was a kid that was about an exorcism. And this guy had to have holy water and he had to have a cross and he had to run around and for two hours chase the devil until finally the devil did really whatever he wanted to do. Really, that only exists in Hollywood. Hollyweird. It's, it is stupid. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. Apparently, the producers of the movies don't ever read that verse. (laughs) Resist the devil, and he will flee. Whenever Jesus cast out a demon, there was not this big two-chapter-long battle. There was not this big two-hour event. Jesus said, be gone, and what happened? (laughs) He was gone. Peter said, be gone, what happened? He was gone. Paul said, be gone, what happened? He is gone. What do they all have in common? Their warfare was not carnal, but mighty in God. Through the power, it's not we who do it. Who, who does the work? God does it. Jesus does it. Resist the devil, the Bible tells us, and he will flee. And finally, the third thing he wants us to do, rejoice. Why? Because the victory is already won. You fight from victory, not to victory. Jesus defeated the powers of darkness at the cross. Battle's over. It's done. We have the victory. When the king returns, the true return of the king, when Jesus comes back, it's finished. There's not some great battle left to take place. 
We stand in a place of victory. When you find yourself in spiritual oppression, I'm bummed, I'm depressed, I don't know what's going on, I'm not going to get all caught up in the carnal issues or look at some guy and say, you know, he looks like Marty Feldman, I can't hear nothing he has to say. Because it's not about the flesh. It's about the spirit. And if that fella has the spirit of God working and moving in him, then he has a lot to say and we better listen. I learned that a long time ago. I used to pile up for me teachers. I like this guy. I like that guy. I don't really like that guy. You know, I like this guy and that guy. I don't really like that guy. Really? Is there a different spirit in them all? Oh, no. You mean it's the same spirit working in all those guys? Oh, yeah. Then you better open your ears because they all have something to offer. And it has nothing to do with the little catchings of the flesh. Well, I like him because he's like this, or I like him because he's like that. Because it's not about the flesh. It's about what? The spirit. It's the spirit. And if all we're doing is focused on the flesh, we're going to miss the message. We're going to miss the message. The message is the spirit of God moving and working within us. We can defeat, we can enjoy the victory that Paul's laying out for us here, just like he's laying out for us here. For our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, that He's central. That He's central. Folks, until He is, we're going to struggle. Up and down, back and forth, until we make Him central. That He is the one that our minds are all about. Recognizing when that thought comes. This isn't of Christ. This is of my flesh. And I can't just will myself not to do it. I have to press into Him. Put on the armor of God. Be ready to do battle. He goes on to say, being ready to punish all the disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Listen, Paul's saying, when I get there, I'm going to do what i got to do. I don't want this big confrontation, but if, I, if, if that's what has to be, it's what it has to be. I'm ready to do it. But you remember, he didn't command them what he do. He begged them and he pleaded. Meekness, power under the control of the Holy Spirit. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself. Just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. He says, are you judging by the, the, the book by the cover instead of by whether or not the Holy Spirit is evident, whether or not there's fruit? Because if you are, you're being carnally minded and carnally minded is, is death. We want to be spiritually minded. What does the Holy Spirit have for me today? What is the Holy Spirit going to share with me today? How can I minister to someone else by the power of the Holy Spirit that's within me? That needs to be the attitude that we go in every day. That's everyday attitude. Here I am. Use me. The same Spirit working in me, works in you, works in all those guys on, on, on TV, if they're actually believers. <laughs> he, he's there. And it's not about whether you like what the outside looks like because the same Christ, the same Spirit is inside. 
For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I won't be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. That's what they were saying about Paul. He don't look like much on the outside. He, he, his his when, he, when they say his speech is, is contemptible, it doesn't mean that he sounds ignorant. It means I hate the sound of his voice. Paul's saying, look, guys, I, I could say well, I have authority based on the fact that he's an apostle called by God, visually saw the resurrected Christ, received his ordination from Jesus himself, and went forward to, I could, I could start talking about that authority. But listen, I want you to understand that you're, what, what we're seeing in this example is a people that were focused on the flesh and not on the spirit. They're focused on the flesh. What the flesh looks like. What the flesh sounds like. And not on what is the spirit of God doing. So let such a person consider this. That what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, we will also be indeed when we are present. Paul says, listen, what you see is what you get. But what I, what I am when I write is what I'll be when I get there. It's all pointing back to that reality. That reality that all the things that upset us in life, think about all the things that irritate you. How many of those things are spiritual issues, and how many of those things are flesh? And recognize that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And the only weapons we have are the weapons that were listed out for us in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit and prayer. That those are the things we're supposed to employ. But I'm going to stop this, so I'm going to go out and picket the whole world. The weapons that we use are not carnal, but mighty in God. Every time the children of Israel went to the next city in the conquest in the book of Joshua, did they walk around it seven times and wait for the walls to fall down? Why not? God told them to do it how many times? Does that mean I should do that every time? Because God moved a certain way once, is that the only way for God to move? We learned anything, study the scriptures, we learn that, that Jesus did what Jesus did because the Father told him to do it. Sometimes he said, be healed. Sometimes he spit in their eye. Sometimes he made mud and put it on their face. He did it a variety of ways, whatever the Father led him to do. We need to realize the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. Trust him and he will deliver. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much for an opportunity to study your word, Lord. We thank you for, God, just the, the, the attitude that you lay out for us to have, an attitude that says, I need to recognize the circumstances in my life, the battles that I fight. It's not with that boss that's a jerk or that neighbor that's a pain. It's a spiritual battle. And it's a battle that takes place in my mind. And I need to put on the whole armor of God. 
I need to place all that armor on. I need to be armed with the truth. Shielded by faith. Protected by the knowledge of salvation. I need to be prepared by the gospel that I'm not an enemy of God anymore. And I need to move forward in the might of you, my Savior and King. Father, equip us, your people, as we look, as we lean, as we press, as we hope for a revival in our nation. May we realize it begins with me. And if I'm being carnal, if I'm being fleshly focused, Lord, I want not to be focused carnally, but I want to be focused spiritually. It's all about that. God, let me not neglect your word, which is my sword. (coughs) Let me not neglect prayer, which is the only way I can help my brother.